Hello, and welcome to 37th and the World, the official podcast of the Georgetown Journal of International Affairs. Gajia is a student-run flagship publication of Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. On 37th and the World, we dive into key global trends and speak directly with the experts working on the issues in areas ranging from conflict and security, human rights and development, science and technology, society and culture, business and economics, and global governance. Preparations for large-scale atrocities, such as slavery and colonialism, have increasingly developed as a political demand for populations descended from historically harmed groups. The Georgetown Journal of International Affairs sat down with Alufemi Taiwo, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Georgetown University, to discuss his novel approach to reparations that stresses a global, material, and progressive outlook, what he calls the constructive view of reparations. To start off on the conversation, what made you decide to pursue the project for reconsidering reparations? I had been um, dealing with the issue of racial justice in really different, um, starkly different kinds of um, spaces, I guess you could say, or um, contexts. On the one hand, I was a graduate student years ago when I first started working on this. So I was reading about the history of racial injustice and taking classes black studies and gender studies and political science and all that around the issues and then um, I was also doing some organizing work engaging in a more practically focused way outside of the academy and those were different ways of thinking right they were kind of different priorities but they obviously converged because the histories I was learning in class were sort of backstories for the problems that people were organizing in response to. And so I was on the lookout for a kind of academic way of thinking about these things that would bridge the gap between those spaces. And reparations is just an issue that I think very concretely links the history of racial injustice to the present reality of it. Your book fundamentally proclaims that reparations are a constructive project. Could you elaborate what you mean by this and how the constructive view of reparations differs from other views on the subject? Uh, what does the constructive view particularly demand and from whom? Yeah, so the constructive view says what we should do is we should build a just world and the companies, the states, the countries that are most on the hook for the injustices of yesterday should be the most on the hook for the construction. The places that did the worst things or inherited the liabilities of yesterday have to shell out the most for constructing the better world. There's different ways that you could think about reparations that um, are different from the constructive view. Um, some people want it to be a relationship repair project, so it should be reconciling um, people who were harmed by the racial injustices of the past, um, Black people, Indigenous peoples, others, um, with the structures or institutions we have now. So maybe it should be apologies or truth and reconciliation commission, those kinds of approaches. Um, you could think reparations is about harm repair, so leaving 
dating, relationship stuff aside, people, households are um, poorer than they should be, more polluted than they should be, more policed than they should be, and reparation should be about um, addressing those things. And you might ask for particular infrastructure like community centers, you might ask for money, you might ask for land on those understandings of reparations. Um, and, you know, I think both of those are on to something, but uh, I like the constructive view because it makes it clear that it's not just the outcomes at the, you know, on the outcome end of the economic and political system that we've built, right? So it's not just the numbers in the bank accounts or the number of acres that belong to this person versus that person or the feeling of a bond or lack thereof between this population and that government. Um, but there's a reason for all those things, right? It's Those are the causal consequences of setting the world up in the way that racial injustice set the world up. And so those are things about the system that we have to change directly, in addition to giving people money and land and all that. You point out in Reconsidering Reparations that Georgetown, like the rest of the world, was built by and atop colonial institutions and broader political structures of freedom and injustice. Has Georgetown University's participation within the construction and maintenance of the global racial empire shaped your philosophy of reparations? More specifically, has the years-long campaign demanding justice for descendants of the GU-272, the 272 slaves sold in 1838 to financially save Georgetown University, shape it? Yeah, it's definitely been something that I've thought a lot about and tried to think very carefully about. Um, one of the chapters of the book tells this story at length, and it's made clear, you know, it's made powerfully clear why one respect in which reparations is going to be a difficult conversation. Right? So, so as I say in the book, as I point out in the book, you know, whatever my racial identity, I work at Georgetown. And so the story of the 272 is a story of the, you know, a deep injustice perpetrated by an institution. Um, but it's also the story of how I get my paychecks, right? The reason the 272 were sold were to, you know, rescue Georgetown from financial insolvency. You know, it's part of the explanation of why there is a Georgetown um, and thus the part of the story of why I have this particular job and why my bills get paid every month, right? And so one of the things that um, that helps me get some critical purchase on is, you know, making the point that Though we often talk about reparations in terms of moral responsibility, in terms of which people have been advantaged by the history of racism and which people haven't, um, it's more difficult than it would seem at first glance to actually tell that story in a faithful, coherent way. And if we attend to those complications, that might tell us the sort of thing that would push us towards the constructive view, at least on my view. On the, on the converse of that previous question, do you believe that the constructive view of reparations has something particularly to offer regarding reparative justice at Georgetown? And more broadly, what role, if any, may academic institutions of Global North have within the construction of a just world through reparations? After all, numerous U.S. universities practice slavery, 
and continue to profit off of the prison and military industrial complex. Furthermore, by default, all universities located in the United States occupy indigenous land and benefit from the neocolonial exploitation of the global South. One of the things that the book talks about is self-determination, right? And the idea, the one of the targets for the just world is that people get to have some say over what happens to them, over what their lives are like. You know, that say was very powerfully denied to the 272, right? Um, and so I think the constructive view is, is one way of getting purchase on why, you know, it's the people descended from the 272 who should get to do some determining as far as what reparations for them might look like. But in general, universities, um, even private universities, um, but especially public universities, I think ought to reconstruct themselves in a way that makes them engines of self-determination for everybody rather than engines of kind of corporate and state determination, right? Um, so much of what goes on here is done in pursuit of the interests of a very particular set of people. Partially as a result, universities um, don't always have the best um, relationship with the communities in the cities that they're actually housed in. Um, there's a great book, recent book out by Deverian Baldwin that talks about negative effects on cities that universities can have um, and have been having in the United States. And you know, a broader reconstruction of universities to serving public interest for knowledge rather than private ones, I think would be a, would would also be called for by the constructive view. This next question relates to uh, the second book that you released this year. Um, in recent works, you've written about elite capture or how elite institutions and figures co-op identity politics, uh, a term with very radical origins by stripping them of their critiques of racial capitalism and by narrowly enclosing group politics. How might these two ideas, the constructive view of reparations and elite capture cross over with one another? So I think the constructive view I think the particular way that they cross over with each other is in terms of the kind of thing that they recommend. So actually this word constructive or this idea of constructive politics is something that ends up being promoted and argued for in both of the books. I think one of the bits of overlap is the idea that what we're responding to is not just misbehavior of individual people, right? Slavery certainly involved misbehavior of people and institutions, but it also created an entire global system around that kind of exploitation. Similarly, as I argue in the book, you know, elite capture is something that we often understand in terms of elite misbehavior or, you know, cynical co-optation of ideas by elites. And it often does involve that, but what I propose is elite capture is actually a system behavior, right? Elite capture is what happens when a social system spreads out resources unevenly and where institutions that could prevent elites from exploiting that situation don't exist or aren't powerful enough, right? And that's elite capture. And that too is about how the world is, how the society is set up as a whole. And so in both of those 
discussions, the thing you end up having to do if you want to address the problem is reconfigure the basic building blocks of the system that you're in. You got to change the system from being what it is to being something else. Are there any particular case studies, historical or contemporary, that you believe exemplify what the constructive view of reparations entails in practice? And if so, what can be learned from them? Um, so the example that I use in the book is um, the example of uh, a radical group that formed in the US and that demanded reparations from the United States in a particular way that I think was um, really demonstrative. Um, so the Republic of New Africa asked for money, of course, because we need money to do things in the world as we've set up now. But they actually also asked for the United States to cede its claim to five states in the South. One of the interesting things is that they didn't ask the U.S. to cede the states directly to the Republic of New Africa, um, but they requested for the U.S. government or they demanded the U.S. government withdraw from those states and thus give the Republic of New Africa an opportunity to negotiate with indigenous folks over what to do with that land and um, how to live there. And I think that's, you know, that's a really helpful illustration of what a constructive view of reparations might look like in practice. It is going to involve just straight up giving cash to people so that they can do all the other things that are going to be involved. Um, but it's also going to involve, you know, setting something new up and doing so in a way that's just, in a way that um, takes into account um, what's going on with other people and how to be fair with other people and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, that's a place where, you know, movements like the Indigenous Land Back Movement and this kind of reparations um, discussion might well and ought to dovetail. This was 37th and the World. Thank you to Alufemi Tyro. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment and rating on whichever streaming platform you use. To read this interview and other insightful interviews and articles, please check out jujia.georgetown.edu. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.